Good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs. Or if you would prefer, you could simply take out the bulletin insert. And on the front of that insert, you'll see my sermon outline. And on the back, you will see all the passages from Proverbs that I'm going to reference today. And I've tried to make it easy for you to follow. I've included the references in bold on the left margin, and then you'll see the verses quoted on the right-hand side, and I've put the references in the order that I'm going to cite them. So again, you have either option. You can flip through the pages of the Bible, or you can uh, look at that bulletin insert. And today we're considering wisdom for parents. I'll begin with a word of prayer, and then we can get started. So, Lord, we thank you so much for calling us to salvation and then calling us to form Grace Baptist Church. Lord, we are so blessed by the ministry of this church. Lord, thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy with one another. We thank you for the legacy of faithfulness that this church has. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to continue to be faithful to you and your word. Lord, thank you so much for the parents that you have have made a part of our church. Lord, some who have kids still in the home, some whose kids have grown up and established families of their own. But Lord, whether we are parents or grandparents, or whether we have no children, Lord, we understand the importance of parenthood in your plan. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a church that understands that, that that values our parents and does all that it can to support their work. Lord, use today's text and and today's message to further instill in parents the the high calling that they have, and help us all, Lord, to support them as as they try to do their jobs well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So a few days ago, I got online, and I typed in the phrase, the importance of parents, into my search engine. And the search came back with 743 million hits. So apparently a lot has been written on parenting. I did not have time to read through all of those entries this week, but I did read a few. And what I learned is that children who grow up with a mom and a dad who are both involved in their lives tend to get better grades in school, tend to have fewer behavioral problems, They tend to have better social skills, tend to have fewer health challenges growing up, and they have many other benefits besides. Then on the other side, kids who grow up with either uninvolved or absentee parents tend to have higher levels of anxiety and depression. They tend to be more emotionally withdrawn. They are more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs as they grow up. They tend to get involved in more trouble and end up in jail at higher rates. So it's really incredible just how much influence that parents can have on their kids for the good or for the bad. Of course, as Christian parents, it's our desire to have a positive influence on our children's lives. In fact, more than that, it's our desire as as Christians to disciple our kids into godliness See, we understand that our children bear the image of the living and true God. And we understand that God created our kids for His glory. And we believe that God is most glorified in our kids when they grow up knowing and loving and serving Him. 
And so as Christian parents, we want to do all that we can to disciple our kids to become godly, to take their place in the church of God, to be involved in the advancement of the biblical mission. We want to see a generation grow up being faithful to God, no matter what they may face in the world around them. The book of Proverbs shows us how to accomplish this. And it presents us with a, a fairly simple model. Now, note I say simple, not easy. It's very hard to disciple our children. But the process itself is not complicated. The book of Proverbs breaks it down into to three main actions. First of all, we have to have the fear of the Lord in our own lives. Then we've got to teach our kids the fear of the Lord. And then we have to provide corrective discipline to our children when they are drifting away from the fear of the Lord. So that's the simple process outlined for us here in Proverbs. Let's begin with the first of those points. So if you want to disciple your kids into godliness, first of all, you must become a godly person yourself. You must live in the fear of the Lord. Now, this idea actually permeates the entire book of Proverbs, and it's how the book begins. You'll remember Proverbs 1.7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What that means is that becoming God-fearing people is the starting point for everything in life. Wisdom in how you live your own life, wisdom in how you are a parent to your kids. And I think by now we understand what it means to fear the Lord. The phrase is basically synonymous with having saving faith. So to, to fear the Lord means that you have, have come to see God in all of His glory and all of His, His holiness. And you look at yourself and you realize that you have fallen far short of, of God's standards. In fact, more than just falling short, in, in your, your natural self, you've actually turned away from God toward things that He opposes. You've come to see that about yourself, and so you have repented. You have, you have repudiated that sinful way of living. You've embraced the words of God, and you're trusting in Him wholeheartedly for His grace and forgiveness. To fear the Lord is to have a, a new Godward perspective in your life so that your whole being is now oriented toward God. You delight in His holiness, and you want to be holy as He is. You want to start thinking your thoughts after him. You want to live a life that would be pleasing to God. See, all of this is bound up in the, the idea of the fear of the Lord or being a godly person. And if you want to disciple your children into godliness, then you must work on yourself first. You must be godly if you want your kids to be godly. In fact, it's inconceivable that that you could be ungodly and at the same time be encouraging your children to fear the Lord. It just can't happen. If your kids do turn out godly, it'll be despite you, not because of your example. We have a couple of passages in Proverbs that show us the incredibly positive benefits that can come to our kids if we ourselves will prioritize godliness Look at Proverbs 14, 26, for example. It says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. 
So there's this twofold benefit to you embracing the fear of the Lord. First, for you, you will have confidence. That means that if you will embrace God in saving faith, then you will become a self-confident person. You'll no longer have any doubts about your relationship with God. You'll have no, no fears about impending judgment. You'll, you won't fear death or hell or any such thing. And you will walk through this world with confidence, no matter what this world throws at you. You're ready for it because you know God and you know His Word and you know the path that you need to take. So there is confidence for you in godliness. But then you see that second benefit. It says, and this person's children will have a refuge. Do you understand the the blessing it is for children to be able to grow up in a home that is God-fearing? In that kind of a home, there is love, and there is virtue, and there is stability. And in all of that, the home becomes a safe place for children. It's no longer a place that a kid wants to run away from. Home is the place where kids want to run to. This is their safe place. This is the place where they get the love and the nurture that they need. So a God-fearing home is a a refuge for children. But there's also a spiritual sense to the word here. They will have refuge in the sense of they too may come to know the living God. And they will come to fear God just as their parents did. And they will come to find refuge in God so that like their parents, they will not fear death and hell and judgment. And they will not fear anything that the world could do to them. They won't fear the future because they have found their refuge in God. So you see that that as a Christian parent, if you yourself will be a God-fearing person, it will have, have an impact on your kids. It'll reap dividends in their lives so that they will have a refuge to go to and they will find refuge in God as they embrace Him, just as you did. And then you look at another passage from Proverbs 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 7, and it says this, The righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. So once more, we we have this this statement of blessing on the kids of God-fearing parents. They are blessed because, once again, they had the privilege of of growing up in a household that was characterized by love and and virtue and, and all of those things. But then these kids have also had the opportunity to become godly people themselves, to to embrace God through Christ and saving faith and, and to embrace all of the virtues that God would have them to put on. And now a legacy of godliness has been established. The godliness of the parents has been passed down to the children so that now we have succeeding generations who will praise the Lord. You know, all of this is a really liberating thought to me. Because today, parents spend so much time worrying about every little aspect of the parenting task. And I hear this all the time from parents. They are so desperate to to provide the best stuff for their kids. I mean, they they want their kids to have the the best shoes, the best clothes, the, the latest electronics. I mean, 
I had a parent tell me once that they thought they were a bad parent because they couldn't afford a smartphone for their kids. and They worried that their kid was going to grow up messed up because they didn't have all the stuff that their peers had. And I know that parents worry about providing the, the very best education and they want their kids to have great vacations and they want them to be involved in all kinds of extracurriculars and so they just run themselves ragged trying to work to earn the money to provide all the stuff and then they exhaust themselves trying to provide all of the experiences that they think their kids have to have in order to grow up and be good productive citizens. But you know, the book of Proverbs just lays all of that aside. And it tells us that the measure of a good parent is not, it is not how much money they make, how much stuff they can provide their kids with. And it's not measured by how many vacations or extracurriculars they can provide for their kids. None of that matters in the end. According to Proverbs, what really, really matters in the raising of a child is that the parents love God and they are committed to godliness and they're trying to set an example that their kids can follow. That's what really matters. And these Proverbs tell us that when parents take on that task to say, look, I will be a godly example for my kids. I will show them what it's like to fear the Lord. When they do that, they can have the effect of, of, of seeing that rub off on their kids. Their kids pick up on the good character of their parents. And so a legacy of godliness is created that spans generations. It really is a liberating thought to think that, that this is what God says will make godly children. But, you know, it's also kind of a scary thought as well, isn't it? It's kind of scary because it also means that our godliness is really important. It's really important. See, if our godliness can have this tremendous spiritual impact on our kids, you know, the reverse has to be true as well. That if we are spiritually apathetic, or even worse, if we are hypocrites in the things of God, that can have a really negative impact on our children. See, through your spiritual apathy, you can give your kids the impression that God isn't really a being worth much of our time, that His words really aren't that important, that, that His ways really aren't the best ways. See, when we are apathetic toward the things of God, that's what we communicate to our kids, and they will pick that up. They will have no interest in God either. Or worse, if we are religious hypocrites, we can cause our children to become embittered toward the things of God. You know, I think of the uh, episode from King David's life recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 12. King David had just committed adultery, and the prophet Samuel has come to confront him. And here's what Samuel says to David. He says, you have given the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme him. I mean, what a horrifying statement. It's got to be one of the worst statements in the whole Bible that through your spiritual hypocrisy, because that's what David was doing, right? He was going around with the, the public veneer of godliness when behind the scenes he was having an affair with another man's wife. 
And when that became public knowledge, everyone could look at David and say, who, who is this God that he worships? What difference does this God make in anyone's life? Look, people just use this God to, to achieve power or to get applause from men, but it means nothing for their character. Same thing with us. If we put on the, the facade of piety when we're at church, and then the rest of the week when we're home in front of our kids, we are the exact opposite, which, which part of our lives do you think they're going to believe the most? The facade or what they really see the rest of the week? Of course, they're going to see us as hypocrites. It's very difficult for a hypocrite to raise a child into godliness. And so what can we parents do? Well, I think the, the first thing that we need to do is to make our own calling and election sure. We want to raise our kids in godliness. Okay, well, let, let it begin with us. Let us ask ourselves, do I really understand God? Have I come to embrace Him in saving faith? Have, have I repented of sin? Have I joyfully brought myself under the teaching of His Word? Have I done this? Have I come to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as the, the Son of God and promised Messiah that, that by trusting in Him, my sins can be forgiven? Am I trying to walk in line with His words? See, we've got to start with us. Is, am, am, I, am I the real deal here? Or am I just putting on a show? We start there. And then after that, we begin prioritizing our own personal growth. Listen, our days are pretty busy. If we don't plan for things, they're not going to happen. So we have got to plan for our spiritual growth. That means we get it right on the calendar that every single day at a certain time, we're going to read God's Word for ourselves. And as we read, we're going to think about God's Word. and We're going to ask ourselves, how does this apply to me? And every single day, we're going to spend some time in prayer because prayer is how we further cultivate our relationship with God. He speaks to us through His Word. We speak back to Him through our prayers. And the Spirit of God, which indwells the heart of every believer, interacts with that believer as they read and pray. We've got to prioritize our own spiritual growth. And then, thirdly, we've got to work on consistency. Remember, apathy and hypocrisy are the worst things that we can offer to our kids. We've got to try to become consistent, godly parents. For example, if you're coming to church on Sunday morning and you are singing hymns of praise to God, but then Monday through Saturday, you're sitting in front of a TV set watching shows that take the Lord's name in vain, using Christ's name as a curse word, rather than praising that name, that's an inconsistency. How can we, we communicate to our kids that we revere the name of God if we sit in front of a television set in their full viewing and we are entertained by people who are constantly misusing His name? See, we have to identify the inconsistencies in our spiritual walk and then root them out. Giving up a few TV programs with questionable content anyway is a small price to pay if it will produce godly kids to do so. 
So we're making our calling and election sure. Then we're prioritizing our spiritual growth. Then we're focusing on consistency in our Christian life. And then fourthly, every time we mess up, we got to go to our kids and apologize. And make no mistake, we will mess up. None of us has yet achieved moral perfection. That means we're all going to fail to live up to our ideals. And that's not hypocrisy, by the way. Okay? When, you, when you are sometimes failing to live up to the faith that you profess, that is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you pretend to love God, but you really hate Him. You, you say to everyone else, live for God's glory, and you don't. Okay? Hypocrisy is Ravi Zacharias, a famous Christian leader, traveling the world, telling people about God, and then in every town he visits, going to the massage parlors and sexually abusing the women who are taking care of him. And when they say, we're going to go public with this, he tells them, if you do, I'll destroy you. That's hypocrisy. Sometimes messing up in your Christian life and recognizing it and trying to make it right, that is not hypocrisy. So, parents, you're going to fail sometimes. Sometimes it'll happen in front of your kids. That's okay. But when it happens, you've got to make it right. Let me give you a personal example. So, a couple of months ago, I was assembling a trampoline for my kids. Okay? My wife told me that instead of buying her a birthday present this past year, she wanted me to buy the kids a trampoline. So, I said, all right, if, if, that's, if that's what you want, that's what... I will do. Trampolines are really hard to assemble. If you guys had the opportunity to try that, okay. They're very, very big. They're like 12 or 14 feet, you know, in diameter. It's very hard to get all the springs connected and to stretch out that um, cloth, whatever it is, and to get it tight. It's very difficult. And what kept happening with me is, is I would put the, the sections together, and I got toward the end, like every time I would pop the final two together, the two at the other end would split apart. This happened like three or four times. It was very annoying, okay? And really, really frustrating, too. And after about the third or fourth time of this happening, I just lost it, okay? And I just, I just yelled, and I said, darn it! And I said darn, but I still yelled it, and I was very angry. And my kids were right there because they're excited about this trampoline going up. Um, But now they've got a dad who just blew his top. Um, I failed to live up to my responsibilities as a Christian father in that moment. So what did I do? Well, I just kept my yap shut and finished assembling the, uh, the trampoline. But my conscience really got to me after a little while. So finally, I had to stop what I was doing, and I had to call my kids over. And I I got them both over to me, and I I knelt down so I was eye level with them. And I said, listen, uh, a few minutes ago, Daddy got really angry because this thing wasn't wasn't working correctly. And, And I lost my temper, and I yelled, and that was wrong. Your daddy sinned, and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And my son is so sensitive. You know, he started to cry. And, and they said, yes, we forgive you. And I said, thank you so much. I will not do it again. And then we just went back to work, finishing up the trampoline. And, and it got done, and the kids have, have had a great time with it. But, you know, sometimes we're going to fail, and our kids are going to see it. We can't hide it, okay, because they saw it. can't just pretend it didn't happen. You've got to own up to it. 
as hard as it is, ask your child to forgive you. You see, friends, we need to give our kids an example of godliness. Sometimes giving them that example means giving them an example of screwing up and then making amends. If we will do this, God tells us in his word that it will pay dividends in the end. They will see our sincerity and they will want to emulate that example. So we must prioritize the fear of the Lord in our own lives. Now we look secondly at this principle. We must not only live in the fear of the Lord, but to be good parents, we must also teach our children the fear of the Lord. This principle also permeates the entire book of Proverbs. In fact, the vast majority of this book is a father, King Solomon, talking to his sons. And he is saying to his sons, Look, I have spiritual wisdom for you, and I need you to listen to me. In fact, I don't have these in your bulletin insert, but let me just remind you of some of these texts. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Proverbs 2.1, My son, receive my words. 3.1, My son, do not forget my teaching. 4.1, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. 4.10, Hear, my son, and accept my words. 5.1, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandment. 7.1, my son, keep my words. And on and on it goes through the whole book this way. A father is imparting spiritual wisdom to his sons. And then he says to his sons, look, I'm not messing around here. This is really, really important. You got to listen to me and you got to follow what I'm teaching you. Life and death are at stake in this. And he's doing this because this is what good parents do. They live in the fear of the Lord before their kids, but then they teach their kids, the fear of the Lord. In fact, the most foundational passage in all the Bible tells Christian parents that this is their job. I'm talking about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The Jews call this passage the Shema. It's the most important passage in the whole Bible to them, and it is the most foundational to us, too. Here's what the Shema says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it begins with doctrine. There is one and only one living and true God. And now the command. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, in all of your soul, in all of your might. So there's only one God, and He is the greatest of all beings. Therefore, you must love Him and serve Him with every fiber of your being. And then the second command, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So you shall love me, you shall follow me. And then the third command, And you shall teach them to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there it is. There is one God. You must love this God. You must follow this God, and you must teach your kids about this God. There are two categories of teaching times given in the Shema. There are the planned teaching moments and then the unplanned. So parents, what are you doing to actively impart spiritual wisdom to your children? You need some planned moments of instruction for your kids. And make some suggestions here first. Make sure that you come to worship every Sunday morning. Give them an opportunity to absorb the teachings of Scripture through the songs that are sung and the prayers that are offered, through the reading of Scripture and then the preaching of Scripture. And then stay for the growth groups classes as well. That's when we break up into age-graded classes so that everyone can learn Bible truths at their own level. Stay for that. Don't neglect those classes. And then consider participating in midweek Bible studies, whether here at the church or at one of the, uh, or at, at currently the only home-based midweek study. You could consider taking your kids to camps or retreats. So in two weeks, me and Daniel are going on a father-son camping trip. We're going down to Ohio, and we're going to sleep in a cabin. We're going to have great fun. But it's also a Christian camp, and there's going to be a, a speaker there. And two or three times over the weekend, we're going to listen to that preacher. We've put it on the calendar. that This is important. Father-son time and spiritual instruction all wrapped into one. Those are the planned teaching moments. Can I also suggest family worship? So that every day in your home, your family is reading Scripture, and you're thinking about it, and you're praying over it together. Now, it's going to look a little differently in each household. Um, in my home, we found that it doesn't work too well. Um, first thing in the morning or at meal times, the uh, children are too distracted. And so we do it at bedtime. And my wife and I always switch every other day. I'll put Daniel to bed one day, then Sarah the next, and then reverse for Melanie. And each time we tuck the kids into bed, we will go over Bible truths with them. And for Daniel, we read a Bible story, and he's very, very smart. So he will actually fill in the gaps of the story for us, tell us the parts we missed, and then we'll, we'll talk about the story, and he'll learn some lessons about it. And then we always end it with prayer, and then we tuck him in at night. And then with Sarah, we're working on Bible memory. I mean, she has a, an amazing memory. And since she was about two and a half years old, she's been able to memorize Bible verses. You can, you can go up to her right now, and, and if she's not feeling shy, she can recite a dozen Bible verses to you from memory. But we've got to have these planned moments. Yes, bring them to church and let them hear from, from the leadership, the, the truths of God. But then also, in your homes, one-on-one -on -one with your kids. Pray with them and expose them to Scripture. And then take advantage of the unplanned moments, too. These are the things that, that you weren't 
really prepared for, but they just, they've come up and you're going to seize the moment. So for example, um, over spring break, one of my son's classmates in kindergarten was riding his bike down the road with his brothers and all of them were hit by a car. And they had done nothing wrong. They saw the car coming, they stopped their bikes, got off onto the shoulder, and the car still hit every single boy. Um, Thankfully, my son's classmate um, only suffered a broken leg. So he was in the hospital for a few days, now he's home. This coming week, he should be back in school. But um, some of the others didn't fare so well. The, the, oldest, the oldest boy is still in the hospital weeks later. He's been in a coma all this time. He's been breathing with a ventilator, and they're still not sure how it's going to turn out for him. This is an unplanned teaching moment. When, what can my five-year-old son learn from this? He can learn a lot of things. He can learn that, that life is very fragile, that we never know how many days we're going to have on this earth, that one moment, everything can be going great. We can be having fun out on the road with our brothers, and the next minute, our life could be snuffed out. We just don't know. A five-year-old can handle those truths, by the way, and they need, they need to handle those truths. You know, they can also learn that God has our kids can learn that God has given them parents to protect them. And so when, when me and mom say, don't play in the road, now he understands why we mean it, right? God put us in our kids' lives for their protection and their nurture, and we have reasons for the rules that we make. And maybe before they didn't understand why they're not supposed to play in the road, but now they do because their friends just got hit by a car in the road. They'll learn to trust the authorities that God has placed in their lives. There are lots of teaching opportunities in all of this. And, and if I could, could go back in time and, and protect those boys from that accident, I would. I would. But it's happened. And so we're going to seize the moment, teach our kids. My friends, you must understand the world around us is not shy about imparting its values to your kids. They're not, they're not waiting around, say, you know, we're going to take a, a, a passive approach here. We'll just let the kids grow up, and they'll decide for themselves when they're adults what they're going to believe. No, nobody is doing that with your kids. Not teachers in school or in college, not um, TV personalities, not the movies, not the, the lyrics of the, the music that they're listening to, not the Broadway plays, not their books, not their social media feeds, nothing And no one is taking a passive approach to your kids. So you cannot be passive either. You can't say, oh, in in matters of religion, I'm just going to let my kid grow up and they'll make their own decisions. Well, you know what? They will make their own decisions in adulthood. They will. While you've got them, though, wouldn't it be nice to try to push them in the right direction? Be active. Say, look, you live under my roof. You're going to church with me on Sunday morning. And you're going to listen while you're here. And we're going to have family devotions together. You're going to listen to what God has to say. And when you're out of this house, you can take it or leave it. That will be your choice. But in here, I'm going to teach you. 
My friends, if we aren't constantly teaching our kids the wisdom of God and doing what we can to, to limit their exposure to the bad influences. And I understand we, we don't want to put our kids in bubbles, right? But, but surely there are also ways that are age-appropriate to expose them to all of the ideologies of the world. And surely we can find a way to, to bathe them in Scripture while they're in our home and to try to shelter them at whatever is the age-appropriate amount to, to shelter them from the ideologies that would ruin their lives. That's our job as parents we model godliness, but then we take instruction in godliness very seriously. And then thirdly, we see that the best parents must also provide corrective discipline. Corrective discipline. I've got a lot to say about this, but I don't have much time left. So I think what I want to do is pause my sermon here, and maybe during the growth groups hour I'll use my Sunday school time to talk about corrective discipline of children. You need the information. God's Word contains it, but I do not have time to give it justice. So let's close here. And let's close with this thought that God has given us a tremendous privilege. He, he has, has brought children into our home. And and he has given us the awesome privilege of discipling these lives into godliness. He's given us the opportunity to raise up a new generation who will carry our faith forward, advance the church, complete the Great Commission. He's done that for us. Let's take that opportunity seriously and let's use every moment that we've got. Let's work on our own lives first, being God-fearing people. But then let's also not miss our opportunities to teach our kids, knowing that if they don't hear godly wisdom from us, they're not going to get it. Right? From parents, it's, it's you or nothing. Now, there are no promises in Scripture. It doesn't say to us that if you do these things, 100% guaranteed your kids will turn out well. We know, we know that's the case. Sometimes we can do our very best, and our kids still have wills of their own. They will make their own choices. But, you know, we do have this proverb to hang on to, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. It means that there is a right path, and there are wrong paths. And if you as a parent will take that responsibility seriously and say, I will push them with all my might down the right path for as long as I've got my kids then all things being equal, chances are they will grow up to be godly. Not a promise or tragic exceptions to the rule, but all things being equal, this is our expectation and our hope. And so, friends, let's embrace God's wisdom for parenting. And as a local church, 
whether you have children in the home or not, whether they've all grown up already or if you've not had children, let's take our job as a church seriously and come alongside the kids that we have here. Let's reinforce our parents' teachings. Let's let's try to model the godliness that they're trying to instill in their kids. Let's encourage them when when their children are are becoming wayward. Okay, let's come around our parents and let's be what a church is supposed to be. With this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the time you've given us. You have so much wisdom to offer to parents, Lord. Help us to to see that wisdom, to understand it, and and to embrace it. Help us to, to trust the process that you have laid out. And Lord, we pray that you would use the families in this congregation to raise up a new generation who will, who will fear you, perhaps even complete the Great Commission in their lifetimes. Lord, that is our aim. That's our hope. We know that we will that we are completely dependent on you for it, Lord. It is by your spirit and by your word that these things will happen. We will just be the instruments that you use. So, Lord, please do your work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.